How many of you have a cell phone? That's a silly question. Who doesn't have a cell phone? Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't. One person. Man. So um, if you'd like to come forward, we'd like to pray for you today. <laughs> I'm not even going to preach. No. Um, so that, JC, turn off the lights. That's good, right? We practice for like an hour before service to get that right. So if you could just turn on your phones. You know, who's been to a concert lately? People don't take lighters anymore to concerts. They take their cell phones and kind of just wave them up in the air. Come on, old lady. And I mean, I'm talking to my old lady that's in the back of the room. Right? Uh, come on. Isn't it incredible how much of our lives revolve around these little things in the morning? Huh, JC? Woo, that was good. JC, turn them off. Turn them on. Off. On. All right. Um, that was totally improvised, by the way. How much of our lives revolve around this thing? I make a confession in the morning. The first thing I do when I wake up, um, I don't kiss my wife and say good morning. The first thing I do is I'm like looking for my phone on my nightstand, right? And, uh, you know, and I go on Instagram. That's the first thing I've been doing lately. You know, I want to I wanna see how many people have liked me while I was sleeping, <laughs> right? And so I ain't going to lie. I go on there and I'm like, oh, you know. And so if you want me to have a good morning, start following me on Instagram. And at about 10 o'clock at night, start liking all my pictures. And then I'll wake up and, and feel happy in the morning. And then after that, I check my email because usually that kind of like my day, you know. Hey, remember to do this and all this stuff. And so I check my email and then I go on Facebook. Facebook's starting to die, you know. And so I go on Facebook and it's pretty much everybody's Instagram is now on Facebook. And so it's like, oh, I already saw this. You know, and then you see, she agrees with me, whoever you are. And then um, I start playing Candy Crush. Just kidding. Just kidding. I don't play Candy Crush. My wife plays Candy Crush. Actually, she used to. So if you guys want me to get in trouble today after service, just ask my wife, how's it going with Candy Crush? She was on like level. I don't know what on Candy Crush. And I, while she was sleeping. All right, because, you know, I wanted her to wake up and be like, oh, cool, I got the upgrade on my phone. I upgraded her phone and erased, like, five years of pictures. I erased her candy crush, and so she was on level, God knows what. I don't know how it works out. But then, you know, she had to start from zero, so she gave up on candy crush. Now she's playing the next game, you know, or something. But, uh, you know, um, in 2000, I didn't have an iPhone. I had this phone here. How many of you people had that phone? All right. Yeah, I know there's more of you just ashamed to say that you had that phone. And uh, there is a flaw with this phone. Besides the fact that it's huge and that people interrupted you all the time. Because you'd be like out to dinner. I love staring into your eyes. Oh yeah, Maquito. You know, people like just screaming into your phone in the middle of like a movie. You know, you're watching like a movie. You know, and uh, so that wasn't the flaw. You will find out the flaw. Those of you that have cell phones, have you ever butt dialed someone? Anybody? You guys know what butt dial is? It's like when you call someone by mistake and then you start talking bad about them and they can hear you, right? So um, those of you laughing, I am the ultimate butt dialer everywhere, all right, ever. All right, uh, 2000, I have that gigantic phone and um, I'm on my way to pick up my girlfriend at the time and her sister because my best friend was dating her sister, right? And uh, so we're on our way, and I call, and I'm like, hey, we're on our way to pick you up. We're almost there. She's like, oh, you got to wait like 30 minutes. We're not done yet. We're still working. And I'm like, come on, give me a break. Just tell your mom you're leaving. You work for your mom. She's like, goodbye, pick me up in 30 minutes. And I'm like, ugh, you know? And so I hang up the phone, and I start telling, uh, you know, my buddy David, you know, man, these girls are driving me crazy. I can't take it anymore. You know, they lucked out when they met us. You know, we are the best thing that's ever happened to them. And they don't appreciate us. You know, we always got to go see like the next Sandra Bullock movie. You know, women love to eat pasta. Men like to eat meat and chicken wings and ribs and go to noisy places. And they like going to a nice Italian restaurant. And so Friday night was like chick flick and pasta night for us when we were dating. And so I'm tired of pasta. A mí no me gusta la pasta. I don't like pasta. You know, and it's like I got to go see another Sandra Bullock movie. You know, and you know whose fault it is? And I'm telling him all this stuff. It's her mom's fault. And her dad's fault, you know. They, they should be, like, grateful that we're dating their daughters. You know, they don't know what they got. And I'm, like, going on and on. And David, he's got to be the nicest guy you're ever going to meet. If you're not his friend, you want to be his friend. Super nice guy. Never says one bad thing about anyone. But I'm such a persuasive guy. 
that like five minutes into my rant, he jumps in and he's like, yeah. And I was like, whoa, David. He's like, he had all this built up anger. Yeah, I'm sick and tired too. All this stuff. And then his phone rings. And it's Lily, his girlfriend. And she's like, hey, uh, don't come pick us up. And she hangs up. And then he's like, oh, uh, Lily just said not to pick them up. I'm like, bro, call her back. Find out what happened, man. I can't believe this. You know? And then she calls back and, she's, and he's like, hey, what's going on? He's like, tell Mark to look at his phone. And so here's the flaw with the next tell. This next tell is that the call button and the hang up button is the same button. So when I thought I hung up, I double tapped and called back. All right. So for 15 minutes, I look at my phone, 15 minutes and counting. They're listening to me complaining about them and how they're ungrateful and they don't appreciate me and all this stuff. You know, and then he, he's like, she said not to call. She looked at your phone. I'm like, you know what? I'm glad they heard it. You know, we got to stand up. We got to be men. You know, they'll be calling us back. An hour later, we're like, dude, have they called? They're not calling. And so I call back and I'm like, honey, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. You know, I love you. You know, I'll watch a Sandra Bullock movie with you. You know, you want pasta? I'll make you the pasta. I love you. Please take me back. You know, complaining, it's the ultimate killjoy. And maybe, you know, I usually say, I know someone here has done this before. I'm pretty sure no one's ever butt-dialed anyone that bad before. All right? But we've all complained, all of us, every single one of us are guilty of complaining. And you know what complaining does? It kills, it destroys, it makes everyone unhappy around us. And the problem is that it's a hard habit to break because we're all naturally negative. We tend to look at the bad things in life. We're all conditioned by society. It's bad news. That's what makes the headline. All right. Nobody picked up the paper today and said, father takes his son to play T-ball, then took him to Menchie's. Then he went to Toys R Us and bought him another toy. Then he went home and read the Bible with the boy. And then he prayed with him. Nobody reads that. That doesn't make the paper. What makes the paper is dad punched kid in the face in the middle of the baseball game. You know, woman found headless on 49th Street. You know, that's what makes the paper, the negative stuff, the terrible stuff. The bad stuff. Society conditions us. Our families condition us this way. By our own nature, we tend to develop the bad habit of complaining. And you know what the Bible says? How God wants Christians to be different. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Today I'm going to tell you, this is how God wants you to live your life. God doesn't want you to be a complainer. Because complaining is the ultimate killjoy. And that's the title of my message today. We're in this series called The Science of Joy. And we are going to learn the science of how we can be joyful every single day of our life. How we can wake up every day and be happy and look at life from a different perspective. And so if you would, open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Philippians 2. 14 through 15. And it says this, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. What does God's word have to say when we deal with complaining? He says, you know what? He said, don't do it. Plain, flat out, don't do it. It doesn't matter how clear this is. However, we still complain, right? As simple as this is, some of us may be complaining in our head right now. Why is it that we fall back? And you know what's funny about when someone's a complainer and you tell them, hey, stop complaining. Most of the time they say, I'm not complaining, right? Or I'm not complaining, you know, it's not me. It's so funny. And so what I think we need to do to kind of help us all out to identify what complaining is, is that we look at the four common types of complainers. The first one, the whiner. These people wake up negative. They don't rise and shine. They rise and whine. All right. And when I look at the Bible, I'm like, God, is there a whiner in the Bible? David, King David was a whiner. Most of the Psalms, it's David whining. Psalm 73 is this, I have been wasting my time. Why take all the trouble to be pure? 
All I get out of it is trouble and woe. The favorite phrase of a whiner is this. Check it out. It's not fair. It's not fair. See, all of us know people like this. Maybe you live with a whiner. All right, you're saying, yes, she's sitting next to me. He's sitting next to me. You know what? My children, parents, please, let me get a little cheer. My kids whine all the time. They whine all the time. My son, Caleb, all right? I'm like, hey, buddy, the pizza's here. He's like, oh. I'm like, hey, Caleb, let's go jump in the pool. It doesn't matter, Caleb. We're going to Disney. It's like his first reaction to almost everything, even good stuff. It's whining. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. It hurts my feelings. Yes, I have feelings. All right. And and it, it makes me sad because I wake up and I go to sleep every day, my wife and I. And all we think about is what can we do to make these kids life better? What can we do to give them the best life possible? And every time he whines, man, I take it personal. It hurts me. And you know what? God is the same way. God gives us so much and so many of us spend all day our entire lives whining and complaining. Maybe you work with a whiner and they're always grumbling about how, you know, they don't make enough money and I hate my boss and I hate my chair and I need a new chair and I'm getting carpal tunnel and it's like complaining and complaining. It's like, hey, do you want to go to lunch? No, I'm fasting for a month. You know, I don't want to go to lunch with you. Life is not fair. You know what? God never said that life was going to be fair. It will be fair when we get to heaven. He will settle the score in heaven and hell. But as long as you complain about the fact that life is not fair, it's only going to make you more miserable. You will never change the fact that life is not fair. Complaining doesn't work. The second type of complainer, it's the martyr. All right. The martyr's favorite phrase is this. No one appreciates me. Nobody appreciates the nice things that I do. You know who was a martyr? Moses. Numbers 11 says this. Moses said to the Lord, why pick on me to give the burden of the people like this? I can't carry this nation by myself. If you're going to treat me like this, he's telling God, please kill me right now. I just want to die. You know, it will be a kindness. Let me out of this impossible situation. These people are pros at having pity parties when they're sick or under pressure. They want everybody to know about it. All right. I talked about Instagram. You have no idea how many times I'm flipping through Instagram and it's someone like, I'm sick with a thermometer coming out of their mouth. You know, they want everybody to feel sorry for them. You know, how do you react when things don't go your way? Do you begin to complain? Do you mount a complaining campaign? How about this? But mom... But dad, it's not fair. My brother did it, you know. Then there's the cynic. And, and when I look at the Bible, the cynic Solomon, man, this guy was so cynical. You know, cynics say nothing will ever change. Nothing will ever change. Ecclesiastes says this, life is useless. You spend your life working and what do you have to show for it? The world stays just the same. What has been done before will be done again. And I'm sure that what has been done before will be done again. Definitely, when you go back to the Hebrew, it has to be with like kids making a mess all the time, right? I think, or at least I'm guessing. Because sometimes I'm guilty of being cynical. You know, it doesn't matter how much we clean our house. As soon as we turn our back, it's a disaster again with our three little kids. You know, my wife and I, we're picking up. Or it's usually her picking up and me watching her pick up. But, and then when she turns around, I like grab something real quick, right, babe? And then, uh, but it doesn't matter. Sometimes I tell her, babe, you know, let's, let's not pick up. Let's pick up on Friday. She's like, honey, it's Sunday. I'm like, yeah, it's just like, they're going to mess everything up. That way, all their stuff is just ready accessible right there in the middle of the living room. She's like, honey, we can't live this way. DCF will come take our kids from us if we let them destroy our house all the time. And so sometimes I do feel kind of cynical and like, nothing's going to change, babe. You know, when I go to restaurants, I like to tip 20%. Some of my family members have been waiters at one point in their life. And so, you know, I try to help the waiter out, tip 20%. Sometimes I end up tipping like 30, 35% because my kids destroy the restaurant. There's more food on the floor than in their mouth all right you know there's always a spill always a spill and so i'm like oh you know why are we going to go to a restaurant they're just going to destroy everything and so i i I have to pray and ask god to forgive me for being cynical sometimes and there's the perfectionist this person is unpleasable 
Nothing is ever right for this person. It's never good enough. Their favorite phrase is, is that the best that you can do? Is that the best that you can do? Proverbs 27, 15 says this, a nagging wife is like water going drip, drip, drip on a rainy day. All right. Proverbs 27, 19 says this, better to live out in the desert than with a nagging, complaining wife. Can I get an amen? Amen. Gentlemen, I know you guys love me right now. I'm probably getting like, you know, tweets. This guy's the best pastor ever. You have to come to this church. This goes for you too. It's better to live in the desert than with you sometimes. All right. And when I talk about desert, I'm not talking about desert springs. I'm not talking about some oasis where you're lounging with your cold drink on a, on a nice, comfortable date. No, I'm talking about in the desert, sin agua, without water, dying, than with a nagging person by your side. And think about that. The times when you're with someone, they're nagging, nagging, nagging. You're like, oh, I'd rather be anywhere. You're like, Moses, Lord, kill me now. <laughs> Nothing destroys the warmth of a home faster than complaining. Nothing destroys the harmony in a marriage faster than complaining. Nagging doesn't work. Ask yourself this question. Does nagging work for you? When someone nags you, does it work? And how come we nag so much? It just makes everyone upset. So if complaining is the ultimate killjoy, what we need to do today to be blessed, to shine bright like stars, we need to kill it. We need to kill complaining before it kills the joy in our life. And so the question we need to ask today is, how can I conquer complaining? How can I conquer complaining? I'm sure you're asking that, Mark. Yeah, that sounds messed up. I'm that person. I live with that person. I need to conquer it. First thing you need to do is you need to admit that it is a problem. Admit it is a problem for you. I have to admit that it's a problem for me. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Some of you want another chance in life? Admit and confess. Often the most difficult part of learning how to handle complaining is recognizing it in yourself. See, check this out. If we had a crew of people following you with cameras and recorders, and I mean secretly, you have no idea they're there. And they're following your every move for a week. What would we capture on tape? What would we capture on audio? Would it be you griping and being grumpy and complaining and arguing and saying, this stinks, I can't believe this is happening? You have to admit that it is a problem for you. Let me tell you, some of you here at this very moment are thinking this, man, I wish my kids were here to hear this message. Man, I really hope that my husband was here, that my wife was here hearing this message. This is a great sermon for my kids. You know what? This is a great sermon for you. It's a great sermon for you. Go back to Proverbs 28, 13 and circle that word. Admit and confess. We need to admit and then we need to confess to God. Why do we need to confess? You know why? Because complaining is just not a bad habit. Complaining is a sin. Complaining is a sin. We need to confess it. It's a sin. It's serious Complaining was the sin, check this out, that kept the Israelites, the children of God, out of the promised land. You're probably wondering why you're going through what you're going through right now in your life. And you hear about how God wants to bless you. You hear about God's promises. And you're like, how come I never embrace? How come I can never take hold of the promises of God? Why does it seem like everything is the same every single day, every single year? It's the same. Could it be? Because you're complaining and you're living a life that's ungrateful to God. See, the children of God, the Israelites, God still loved them. He still fed them while they were in the desert, yet they could not walk and step into the promised land because they didn't stop complaining seven times. We find in scripture that they murmured. And then what did he say? All right, one more lap. And they gossiped and they complained again. One more lap around the desert. And an entire generation dies in the desert, never stepping in to the promise that God had made them and given to them. Not to their children's children. I want you to go into the promised land. They never went into the promised land because they complained. God wants you to enter into the promised land. But to enter into the promised land, we need to stop 
complaining. See, the problem is that it's easier to be critical than to compliment someone. The second thing we need to do is we need to accept responsibility for our own life. I need to accept responsibility for my own life. As you can see, I'm a big guy. Um, I have a size 13 shoe. My wife is like a petite woman, and she has a size 6 in uh, women's shoes. And I step on her all the time. Can I get an amen? I step on her all the time. The other day at the couple's retreat, um, we're having a nice romantic dinner, and all of a sudden she's like, oh! And I'm like, oh, she bit her lip or her tongue or something. And I'm like, what happened, babe? What happened? She's like, you stepped on me. My first reaction always, I don't know why. Help me. Pray for me. It's always this. It's like, why did you put your foot under my foot? (laughs) Always. It doesn't matter. Every time I step on her, I'm like, why'd you put your foot under my foot? I'm working on it. And immediately I've gotten better. I'm like, oh, babe, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I stepped on you. But that's always the first reaction. You see, many times complaining, it's just an attempt to blame others for problems that we have created. We try to excuse ourselves by focusing on somebody else. We brought this problem into our life. We are the cause of it. But if we complain, maybe we can shift the focus to someone else. You know, and just feel a little bit better about ourselves. We like to pass the buck because it makes us feel better. I want all of us to read this next verse out loud together. Every single one of us, Pedro, put it on the screen. I'm going to count to three, and everyone's going to read it together. One, two, three. Some people ruin themselves by their own stupid mistakes and then blame the Lord. One more time. Some people ruin themselves by their own stupid mistakes and then blame the Lord. What is God telling us here? Do not complain how the ball bounces if you're the one that drops it. If you drop the ball, if you mess up, if you make a mistake, say, you know what? I dropped the ball. I messed up. It's my fault. When we bring problems into our life, we have no legitimate right to complain. Many times complaining, we're just making an excuse because we were irresponsible. And we don't want to accept the fact that it was us that caused the situation. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please his flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. We reap what we sow. When we reap what we sow, we don't have a right to complain because of the results. But Pastor Mark, don't I have the free will to do whatever I want when I want? You do. Absolutely. You have the freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want. But here's the thing. Once you make that choice, you're no longer free. You're free to make the choice, but you're not free from the consequences of the choices that you make God gives us freedom, but when we grab the handcuffs and we put them on, we make that choice. We make that choice. I was a youth pastor here at Calvary for like seven years, all right? And I can't begin to tell you how many times I've sat across from a young teenage girl in my office, and they've come to me crying, and I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, my parents are driving me crazy. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? What's going on with your parents? She's like, oh, I like this boy. It's always, I always knew. By like my second year in, in youth ministry, I knew the song and dance already. I was ready. Whenever a girl said, Pastor Mark, I need to talk to you, I'm like, I know what's going to happen. And so I, they'd get there, and I'd let them tell me, oh, he's cute. He makes me feel so good. He texts me just the right thing at the right time of day. When I'm with him, I feel so good. He's so smooth. His biceps are like this and whatever. They tell me the whole thing. And when I'm done, regardless of what they said, my first question was always this. And those of you that were my youth, you know what I would say. I'm saying, is he a Christian? First question. I don't care. I don't care if he's blonde, black, nappy hair, straight hair. I don't care. Okay, I would say, is he a Christian? And most of the time I was like, oh, he believes in God. And you know what? I would say, my kids believe in Santa Claus. All right? I don't care if he believes in God. The Bible says that the devil and the demons believe in God. All right? So all that you've told me pretty much is like he's a demon possessed. All right? And, uh, and I would say, look, that's cool that he's cute. And all this stuff. But you know what you need to do so that your parents, you know, they could stop driving you crazy. And so that you can be happy for the rest of your life. Do you want to be happy for the rest of your life? And they're like, yes. And I lo- this was my favorite part of the whole thing. I looked forward to these conversations because this was my answer every time. Run! 
Run. Run from him. Because he's going to ruin your life. He only wants one thing. And you know what it is. How far can I get with this girl before I dump her? All right? That's it. And every time what would happen was if the girl decided to stay with the guy, they would stop coming to church. They would stop coming to the youth group. But unfortunately, and this I hated, I'd bump into them in the mall and they're pushing that baby carriage, you know. And I'd walk up to them and like, oh, is that your little brother? And they're like, no, this is junior. And I'd be like, we're senior. And they're like, oh, well, it didn't work out. And one day, I mean, this story, it kills me. I remember being, I was going for lunch, ordering a, I was going to eat a cheeseburger. And, um, and I'm there looking at the menu. And I don't like menus. And so I'm just trying to find the best picture. And I'm like, I want that. And uh, this girl starts walking towards me with her head down, kind of looking around with huge belly. And I'm trying to see who it is and, you know, try to see if she's a happy pregnant woman or, you know, you don't want to upset a pregnant woman. And so I'm, I'm looking at her and uh, she's coming towards me and I recognize her. She hasn't seen me yet. And so she looks up and she's like, hi. And you would have thought that she became, you know, mute at the moment. She couldn't speak. She couldn't say, welcome to blah, blah, blah restaurant and whatnot. She's like, uh, uh, uh. And I believe in that moment, that time that she was sitting in my office just started playing in her head. He told me to run, and I didn't run, and look at me where I am today. Dropped out of school because she was pregnant, had to work because her parents kicked her out of the house. Uh, senior was gone. I'm sure I know where he was. He was in his room, in his mommy's house, in his underwear, playing video games, you know, babiao, like drooling, you know, <laughs> I'm going to kill you, <laughs> with a little microphone on the side of his mouth. Because he's a kid. He was an idiot. And it broke my heart when I saw her. I told her, you know, there's still hope. This baby's going to change your life. It's going to be a great thing for you. But it wasn't the time. We can't pass the buck. It was her fault. She made the decision. We have the freedom to choose. But once we make the choice, we are no longer free. You see, um, this kind of stuff really, like, it, it breaks my heart. And so when I speak about a message like this, I, I say stories like this because... I want you guys to understand that God has created us for so much more. That God wants so much more for your life. So much joy in your life. So much happiness in your marriage. And so we need to begin to seek God and say, God, am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right choices? Are the problems in my life because of me? Because of stupid decisions that I make? I hear people saying all the time, I'm just not appreciated at home. And so, you know what? Maybe you're not appreciating the people in your home. We reap what we sow. If you want friends, so many times it's like, man, I don't have any friends. You know why? You're not friendly. Be friendly. Be nice to people. And you will see, like, you'll be going, I have too many friends. All right? Be nice. Be friendly. You want to be appreciated in your house? Begin to appreciate the people in your house. You want to be put first in your marriage? You're like, man, I'm not first in my marriage. I know it. There's so many other things that are first in their life and his life and her life. Begin to put them first in your marriage. Make them first in your marriage. Accept responsibility for your life and your choices. And you see, you'll see how things begin to change. You see, there's three kinds of people in life. There's excusers, there's accusers, and then there's choosers. The excusers are always saying, I'm a product of my environment. I'm like this because this is the way I grew up. This is the type of upbringing that I have. And so I have the excuse to do whatever I want or to live this disastrous life. And so they're, they're excusers. Then there's accusers. It's not my fault. It's, it's their fault. You know, when Adam sinned, he took it like a man. He blamed his wife. Right? That is the accuser saying, it's not my fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. And then there's the chooser. The person that accepts responsibility. These are the successful people in life. They accept responsibility for their decisions. They reap what they sow. They take it and they move along and make things better. That's what I pray that you would become. You would become a chooser. That today you would choose. That's not the type of life that God created me to live. From now on, I will be different. The third thing we need to do, we need to develop an attitude of gratitude. We need to develop an attitude of gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Circle that word all. God is saying, I want you to be thankful in all circumstances. He's not saying for all, but in all. It's obvious. You can't be thankful for, for all circumstances, but in every circumstance you can be thankful. 
All right, um, a couple weeks ago, I was at the couple's retreat with my wife, and um, I was very happy to be there with her. This was the last day. Look at the smile on our faces. We had a great time, all right? She married me even after the butt dial, so, <laughs> so thank you for doing that. So, and, uh, and, and here's the thing. While I was at the couple's retreat, right when we were getting ready to leave, I got a call from my mom. Hi, mom. And, uh, and my mom told me, hey, don't worry, but Caleb cut his finger. And we're like, okay, don't worry, Caleb cut his finger. Pero no te preocupes, don't worry. I did the same thing for him that I would have done for you. And I'm like, honey, get in the car. We got to go. <laughs> right? And so, um, and it was true. Back then, we were much stronger, and, you know, a paper towel and scotch tape would have done the trick. All right, but when I got home, this is what I came home to, Caleb's finger. Boom! All right? Which, four hours later, this is where we were. Uh, because when you go to the ER, they say, you know, now there's these billboards that say 15 minutes. It's a lie. Five minutes, it's a lie. We got there. Yeah, you could walk in. It's pretty quick. But then once you're there, it's like four hours. So I was there for four hours. Caleb, he got stitches. But let me tell you this, in the middle of that situation, I could have had the choice. This is going to ruin my couple's retreat. It's going to be a terrible drive home from Naples. Or I could say, you know what? In the middle of this, I'm going to be thankful. And I made that choice. Let me tell you something. I don't even think I shared this with my wife. But I had a moment with Caleb in that ER while I was waiting for, for four hours. My phone died, so God was in control. It's like, look, you're here with your kid. I want you to be with your kid. They had Don Francisco on the TV, so it's like, I'm not interested in that. And so it's like, me, Caleb, Don Francisco, a bunch of... Like people, women passing out, all these nasty germs, and I'm like a germaphobe. And so it's me and Caleb, and I'm holding him because I don't want to touch anything. I have ADHD, so I have to touch stuff and be walking around and all this stuff. So if you talk to me after service, I'm probably going to touch you. So, you know, don't stand too close. All right? I like to feel things. And so I'm holding Caleb. I'm looking at Caleb, and I just, I just say, thank you, God, because he's here. Because it's just a stupid little cut on his finger. All right? I thank you, God, that he still has a head, that it wasn't his head that was cut off, that his finger's still there. And then I started missing my other two kids that I hadn't seen for three days and, and my wife. And I'm like, thank you, God, because I have a wife and I have two kids. Thank you, God, because you gave me these four hours just to be me and Caleb. Because I don't really, like, spend that much quality time just me and him with nothing distracting me. And, man, I started to cry in that ER. And in the middle of that situation where most people would have been upset, I saw God. I made the decision. Am I going to allow the circumstance to control me? Or am I going to say, God, in the middle of this, I'm going to be grateful. And I told Caleb, you know what? This isn't a big deal. You know, we got to thank God. And he's so cute. He's like, Bobby, how can I thank God? Look at my finger. And I'm like, let's thank God because you still got a finger. How many times did your grandma tell you, don't climb on top of that little house? And you did it over and over again. You could have chopped your head off. You could have fallen over the fence and broken your neck. And yet, you just got a little cut on your finger. You know, we got to be thankful in every situation. Romans 8, 28 says this, all things work together for good to those who love God. You love God? Regardless of what you're going through right now, just say, God, I know some way, I don't see it, I don't understand it, but you're going to work this out for good. You see, I know that God's working things out for the good in my life. He has a pattern and he fits even the bad things in my life into this pattern. God's purpose for my life is bigger than my problem. Say that with me. God's purpose for my life is bigger than my problems. I say it one more time. God's purpose for my life is bigger than my problems. God's purpose for your life is bigger than your problems and you need to be able to give thanks not for everything, but in everything. Develop an attitude of gratitude. Develop an attitude where you give thanks to God. And of course, there's going to be things in your life that you're not satisfied with. There's going to be things in your life that, man, you know, it's like, oh, I wish they were different. And that's cool. There's things in your marriage that you may not be satisfied with. There may be things in your business that you're probably not satisfied with. Habits that you have. Things that you have about yourself that you're not satisfied with. Your children, your friends, your boss. But you need to believe that there's also things in that situation where you could learn and be thankful. The Bible says that as Christians, we are to be different. We need to react to situations in our life in a different way. 
We are to do things without complaining and arguing that we may be sons of God, blameless and harmless in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which we shine as lights of the world. We stand out in the crowd. We shine like lights because we are different. Okay, Rihanna didn't invent it. Shine bright like a diamond. You know what? It was Paul thousands of years ago. Anointed by the Holy Spirit, writing this down and say, hey, you know what? You need to shine like a star in a perverse and crooked generation. You are the light of the world. Philippians 4.11 says this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Circle that word content. You know, when Paul wrote this, the guy that we're talking about, the guy that wrote the book of, of Philippians and most of the New Testament, he was in a prison in Rome. All right. So whatever you're going through, it's not that bad, all right? He was in a prison in Rome, and prison in Rome is not like the prisons today. This was a hole in the ground. I stood in that prison. When I went to Rome, I was in there. And man, my heart broke as I saw, man, this guy wrote most of the Bible in the middle of this prison, and I'm complaining all the time that, man, what, why isn't my life different? Here I am. I'm in Europe. I'm in Italy, okay? It's, this, isn't, this wasn't a vacation destination, a hole in the middle of the earth, where this man was there and God was there. And he said, you know what? I've learned to be content. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. That that will be the story of our life. See, when you learn to be happy and joyful in spite of the circumstance, you know what that means? That means you are mature. That means that you are maturing as a Christian. You're not determined or controlled by the circumstances that are around you. You know what? A lot of times we complain that we're bored. All right, and you can tell I'm a dad because kids say that all the time. When we complain that we're bored, we're complaining against God. You're basically saying, God, you gave me a raw deal. I can't do anything with the circumstance that I'm in, that I've been dealt. Let's develop an attitude of gratitude. Number four is look for God's hand in the circumstance. If you want to get victory over complaining, look for God's hand in your circumstance. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, This small and temporary trouble we suffer will bring us tremendous and eternal glory, much greater than the trouble, than the trouble. So we fix our attention not on the things that are seen, not on our problem, but on the things that are unseen. What is seen lasts only for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. Paul is saying here, there are problems that come into our life, no doubt. But the way that you look at them determines your attitude because God is working things out for the good in your life and the good that you're going to get out of them. Let me tell you, it's going to last longer than the problem. The good that you're going to get out of the situation that you're in is going to last longer than the problem that you're in. This problem is temporary. It's so small in comparison to eternity. It is so small. Think about that next time you're going through a difficult time in your life. This is nothing compared to eternity, compared to the greatness of God. So look at God's hand in every circumstance. And the reason why over and over today and in the Bible, we're told not to complain is because complaining, in essence, it's rebellion against God. When I complain about my circumstance that are beyond my control, I'm really saying if I were God... I would do things differently. If I were in charge of the whole human race, things would be much better. You really think that? That's rebellion. That's why it's so serious. And that's why God says, don't do it. We're challenging God in three ways. We're questioning God's wisdom. We're saying, God, do you really know what you're doing? Do you see what's going on? Is he really that wise, all-powerful, almighty? I'm doubting that God cares about me. Do you really love me? Does he really care for me? And number three, I'm forgetting God's goodness when I complain. I'm focusing on what I don't have rather than focusing on what I do have. I'm being ungrateful. The fifth thing that we need to do to kill complaining in our life is that we need to practice speaking positively. We need to practice being positive people. Complaining is a habit. And the only way to replace a bad habit is by replacing it with something else. Take out the negative and replace it with positive speaking. See, there are people that see the negative in everything. Don't, don't nudge him. I see you there. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't see you. But I'm sure there's people like, yeah, you see the negative in everything. Or inside, yes. You know? And let me tell you something. I just came to the realization of this uh, recently. When you leave... Wherever you are, today, 
when you leave home in the morning, when you leave your job, when you leave a party that you're with people that you know, you don't really leave. As soon as you leave, it just gives everyone the opportunity to start talking about you. Okay? It's just like the butt dial without the dial. All right? You become the butt of the joke. All right? And people are, what are people saying? Oh, I'm so glad she left. She's so annoying. You know? Or like, man, he's always complaining. Or when you leave, do people say, oh, they're just a Debbie Downer? Is Is that what you're known as? The Debbie Downer? The person who's always like, oh, seeing the negative and everything. God did not create us for that. God created us to be the light. God created us to bring light into every situation. Ephesians 4, 29 says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be beneficial to those who listen. The Bible says that we're going to give account for everything that comes out of our mouth. That freaks me out because I say a lot of dumb stuff. All right. We're going to have to give account to God for everything that we say, every negative thing. Every time we talk about someone, every time we complain about someone, every time we argue and God said, hey, you know what? Don't do that. Get that out of your life. I want you to enter into my promises, but you can't enter into my promises until you begin to live life differently. You know, everyone's always been told if you can't say something good, if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. Let me tell you something. Your grandma didn't make that up. That comes right out of the Bible. All right? If you can't say something that's going to lift somebody up, shut up. All right? Don't say negative stuff. You want friends? Be friendly. Stop being annoying. Stop complaining. All right? Especially when it comes to parenting. What are we saying with our mouth, man? I think about that all the time. Every time I get upset at one of my kids, I say something I shouldn't say immediately. Like yesterday, I did it. My son, Joshy, did something. And, uh, and I got mad and I said something. And immediately, I'm like, Joshy, I'm sorry. I hugged him. I kissed him. I'm like, what you did was wrong. But what I said was wrong, too. I'm sorry. And, and I gave him a kiss. And, and I'm like, man, everything that I say to this kid, I'm either going to make him a strong man who has confidence, who believes in himself, or I'm going to tell him, man, you're always messing everything up. Oh, you're always dirtying things. Oh, you don't listen to me. Instead of trying to turn the situation and build him up, Ephesians 6, 4 says this, don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with loving discipline and godly advice. Parents, do your words help your kids? Or do they hinder your kids? Are you building your kids up? Or are you tearing them down? Did you do that again? Why are you doing that again? You never listen. You're so hard-headed. You know, you're dumb. Probably struck a chord with some of us. Because somebody told us one day we were dumb. Or that maybe we wouldn't amount to anything. Man, let's build them up. Let's build our kids up. Let's build our wives and our husbands up. Let's build our friends up. Let's build, you know, let's build the people that we work with. How would your job look, you business owners? How would your business look if your business became a place where everybody was lifted up? Man, when somebody messed up and before you say, man, you're making the same mistake, you do that again, I'm going to fire you. Instead, like, hey, you know what? Maybe they're making that mistake because you never trained them. You know, you never spent time with them and say, you know what, man? Come with me. Jump in the truck with me and, 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 and let's do this together. And you invest in people and you build people up. Your life will begin to change. Your home will begin to change. Do everything without complaining or arguing. And then he gives us three results so that you may become blameless. That means when you don't complain, nobody can find fault in you. Nobody can point a finger at you or give you the finger. All right? When you don't complain. The second thing is that you become pure, blameless and pure. What does that mean, pure? Right there, it's the Greek word for having integrity. When you're not a complainer and someone who's always arguing, you are a person of integrity. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Our culture is so negative that when you find a person that's genuinely positive, man, they stick out like a sore thumb. It's a contrast to the obvious, to the normal, to the everyday. People shining in the middle of a dark night, in the middle of a dark world, of a dark workplace, of a dark neighborhood. Imagine what this church would be like 
If we decided today, you know what? I'm going to shine. I'm going to shine bright. Man, we would have to blow the walls of any building that we'd ever want to go into because everybody's saying, you know what? Everyone's negative. The world's negative. The government's negative. Everyone that I know is negative. And I go to this place and I get charged up because everyone's just so positive. They love me. They care for me. Imagine what would happen in your homes. All right, those of you that have trouble in your home, if you made the decision today to say, you know what? That's it. I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to stop being a bad witness. I'm going to have a positive attitude. I'm going to have a positive impact wherever I go. How do we do that? We need to allow God to work in our life. We need to allow the Lord to work in our life today. Not tomorrow. Not like, oh yeah, you know, that's that's a good idea. Philippians 2.13 says this, For God is at work in you to will and to act according to his purpose that's the verse right before what we've been talking about all today for god to be to work in your life if you want god to do a work in your life first thing you got to do stop complaining i mean this is in the bible you want to enter into the promises of god we need to check complaining at the door we need to allow god to make us new from the inside out let me tell you jesus is the only way to do this you need to connect with christ and say jesus come into my life change my life i need you i'm tired of the things of this world i'm tired of all this negativity and i know i'm listening i'm understanding that maybe it's me maybe it's the way that i act maybe it's the way i perceive things but today i'm going to make the decision to start walking towards the promised land you know if you look at a map of the Middle East and you see Egypt and you see Israel, it was pretty much a straight shot. I mean, it was only a small trek and yet for 40 years, the children of God, they walked in circles. And he asked yourself, why? Check this out. God wanted to build a new nation. He wanted to build a nation of people that represented him and his blessings and he couldn't get a bunch of complainers To come and build that and possess the land. God wants you today to possess the land. To possess his promises. To possess all the incredible things that he has created for you to enjoy. He wants there to be joy in your homes. He wants you to have a good relationship with your kids. Some of you, man, me and my kids, we don't talk. Some of you live in the same house and it's like, ah, we're always fighting. Some of you have kids that have moved out of your house and you don't even have a relationship with them either you know what sometimes we just got to stand before god and say god you know what i messed up and sometimes our sin blinds us some of you are here today but mark it's not my fault you don't understand and be like you know what god if there's something that i did whatever it is i want to come to you today i want you to show it to me and i want to be different god i I need to change man maybe there's christians here today You're a child of God, just like Israel was. And you're wandering in that desert. You're wandering in that desert, and you're like, man, nothing ever changes. Every year, it's the same thing over and over again, and things get worse. And why is it? And man, you can see the promised land at the distance, and you see other people entering the promised land. And you're like, man, when am I going to get a chance to get into the promised land, to, to reap these beautiful blessings in my life, to be happy, like really happy? To be blessed, but like, like really blessed. To feel complete and content. Stop arguing. Stop complaining. Start seeing God in every situation. Saying, God, I don't understand this mess. And it drives me nuts. But I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to let go. Yeah, I'm just, you know, a normal man. I'm just a woman. I, I really don't understand what's going on. And instead of complaining, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to start shining And even if it takes a while, I know that I'm going to cross into the promised land. And so today I'm going to invite you to stand up. I'm going to ask George to come out and we're going to worship. And if you're here today, I'm actually going to jump down and I'm going to meet you there. Because you know what? Two or three days before I started writing this message, I had to spend, you know, a good amount of time, me and God, and saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm about to stand in front of your people and tell them to stop complaining. And I complain so much. Forgive me forgive me so i don't stand here today saying you know what i got it all figured out i stand here as your brother saying you know what i love you 
and God wants something better for you. And the only way to cross into that promised land is by saying, God, I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to stop arguing. I'm going to stop wondering why me. And I'm going to say, all right, I'm going to trust you. God's here. My son's finger's cut. You know, I was just at a couple's retreat. I, I choked on my lunch. Uh, when I heard this, but God's there, God's in control, and I don't understand, but I know that what God has in store for me is bigger than the situation that I'm in. So if you're here today, and you're ready, you're ready to cross into the promised land, I'm going to be down here with you. You're ready to do it. I want you to meet me down here. I want you to come here, and I want you to pray with me and say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to walk into the promised land. I'm ready to embrace the life that you created me to live. You told me you're leaving Egypt, you're crossing the Red Sea, and you're walking into the promised land. I don't want you to wander in the desert anymore. Embrace the promises that I have for you. So I invite you to come, and we're going to pray together, and together we're going to walk into the promised land. Together we're going to embrace what God has for us you know what's awesome about our God and we're going to sing about it God is our justice God is our peace God is our savior alright and, and, and there's a part of the song where it talks about like I look at the stars and I just see his grace we see God's grace that despite the fact that we've doubted him over and over and over again and we've complained over and over again he's saying you know what I forgive you I forgive you. You've put these handcuffs on you with the stupid decisions that you've made today. I'm going to set you free. I want to set you free. I believe that there's husbands and wives that need to come down here right now. Moms with their kids. Fathers with their kids. Cousins, brothers, sisters coming here and saying, you know what? Let's walk into the promised land today. There's reconciliation that needs to happen in your marriage reconciliation in your relationships the only way to embrace the freedom of God the promises of God is to make a decision to say I'm leaving all that junk behind me all that garbage, the whining the complaining, the problems come forth and let me tell you something this isn't a religion, this isn't about religion this is about a relationship with a God that loves you so by coming up here doesn't mean oh I'm a Calvary person now. This means I'm a Christian. I'm a human. All right, the pastor that just talked for 40 minutes, he's up here too. I was the first one to jump out here because I want to walk into the promised land too. I want to embrace everything that God has for me. And when I don't have it, it's because I'm stupid, I'm dumb, and I do things that I shouldn't do. It's my fault. It's my fault. So I stand here with you today and say, you know what? I'm part of this. And I want to cross this together. I want to shine bright like the light in the universe. The brightest light. Because of Jesus. Because of Christ. Is there anyone else? We're going to sing.